0: Dog. Hello and welcome to Public Intellectual. Public Intellectual is a podcast supported solely by its listeners, so if you would like the podcast to continue, you can go to patreon.com/public Intellectual and for a donation, get access to bonus episodes, a blog, and coming soon, a zine, a collaboration with the artist Jen May. Called screaming women go to patreon.com slash public intellectual a recurring topic of conversation within the last couple podcasts is a complaint or a question about the stories women writers and directors choose to tell about women women often behave the same way men do given the opportunity so it's no surprise that women tell stories about women the way men tell stories about men Men like to tell stories about how heroic, intelligent, logical, and good men are. And women writers and directors like to tell stories about how loving, beautiful, and noble women are. It made me wonder where the woman's version of Anna Karenina is, or Thomas Hardy's Tess, or any of the Mom novels, or Portrait of a Lady, The cross-gendered ability to see the other gender in all its complications, pressures, and psychological and sociological realities. Where are the women looking at men? And not women looking at men looking at women. That does not count. So I was pleased when Ryan Nyberg from Post Culture Review suggested Isla Lupino's The Hitchhiker for the series that we're doing on women directors. It's a movie directed and written by a woman, entirely populated by men. And here we talk about why that's important and unique, and why the Bechdel test is a bullshit way to talk about a film.
1: The Hitchhiker, Ida Lupina yeah uh how, how did you uh how did you come across this movie uh
0: i had seen it on lists of films directed by women you know they the the sort of standard uh the 25 or 50 or 100 greatest films ever directed by a woman you know all that kind of stuff it was always on there yeah. um and I think I had watched it years and years ago and had completely forgotten about it. Um, but re-watching it recently, you know, brought brought some of it back. Um, yeah, because it's really, you know, of the movies that show up on those lists directed by women, this is uh, this is very different <laughs> from most of them.
1: Yeah, it is. Well, I mean, for one, there's no women in it yes, at all. Yes, I mean, zero. It's. Uh, it's I, I think there's like there's a there's like a young girl in one scene. I think maybe some background, uh, you know, passers by, like a I think a motorist has a like his wife or girlfriend in the car with them when they pass by. But there's there's no there's no uh, women characters of any significance at all in the film, which isn't really kind of. I think it's a, that seems like a conscious choice almost. So like it really focuses in on this as a story about masculinity in a way.
0: Yeah. And I kind of liked that because I think it's very easy. It would be very easy to do this film with, um, especially if it were being made today with um, a female victim because uh, females, I guess, you know, make, great victims in films
1: yeah definitely a common choice
0: and so the the it's sort of it's a uh standard way of sort of ratcheting up um tension is the possibility of sexual assault you know Um, And so it has that sort of cheap uh, ability to create tension to just like have him leer at her in a tank top or something. Um, So, yeah, I kind of, I did kind of actually appreciate the fact that um, despite not passing the Bechdel test, um, Mm -hmm. which I think is the absolute nonsense (laughs) way to think about film. Um, it, It does say something about, say something very interesting uh, about, I think, masculinity and also then, weirdly, femininity through its absence.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I came through the film myself sort of, sort of in the other way as is, uh, going through a streak of um, film noir and uh, trying to really do a sort of a deep dive into the genre. Um, and it kept popping up on lists of sort of the... The classic film noirs and it gets advertised as that the the only film noir directed by a woman which mm. i i have no reason to doubt that that's true I, i'm not sure but it's uh so it definitely you know it kind of popped up and then but the premise was just so uh intriguing that i'd, I'd kind of picked it up without without consciousness of without any kind of consciousness of its uh historical importance in that sense like that uh the fact this is a this is, a, in a way, a very pioneering movie, having a female director. It's uh, an independent production at that. She ran the production company that uh, that produced this. She, uh, you know, the work she put into it. She crafted the story. Uh, she um, she got the releases from the. It's based on a true story. And she got releases from people who were involved in the original story. She was very, very. Uh, Involved in uh, the creation of this, not just from a directing perspective, but from just bringing the whole thing forward. So, and I was unaware of that when I, I watched it and then reading into it, and realizing that how much goes into this film. So,
0: so you say it's the premise that sort of drew you in. So, this is this is the awkward part of the podcast where we have to describe the action of the film because <laughs> I, I've been told that people listen to these even if they haven't watched the film. So, we do have to yeah. say what happens. Would you would you like to do the honors?
1: Absolutely. Uh, So, well, spoiler alert: the uh, uh, so Hitchhiker uh, takes place in uh, it starts, I believe, in California uh, in the nineteen fifties, and then goes from uh, follows uh, a recently escaped convict uh, who is on a killing spree, trying to make his way to uh, to Mexico to get out of the United States. Uh, It the opening credits show him. Uh, getting picked up as a hitchhiker by a couple of uh, different people, first a young couple who are then uh, summarily executed, and then he walks off, and then a salesman who he also kills and drives off in his car, and then finally by uh, our two main characters who are a uh, uh, pair of old, uh, sounds like war buddies, middle-aged men, family men, careers, out on a... Uh, a trip uh, away from the family, heading off into the mountains initially and then deciding to to make a change and head down towards, uh, towards Mexico, uh, sort of relive the old times maybe, and pick up this hitchhiker and he immediately takes them hostage and uses them to uh, make his way uh, down to Mexico. Uh, and then they have to try to decide how to respond to this, how to get out of this circumstance where they have a man who is uh, made it very clear up front. He is going to kill them at the end of this, mm-hmm. and it whether he can do it now or he can do it later. But he is going to kill them before this is done. So, and uh, so it's this very claustrophobic film trapped inside this car. But then it takes place in this vast desert landscape as they run through uh, Mexicali and down through uh, uh, down through the Baja Peninsula.
0: And um, yeah, it has that. This kind of contrast between the claustrophobia of, of of the car and then the wide expanse of the desert uh, for the sort of external shots that they do. Um, which is sort of glorious in a way, but also it has the same sort of sense of um, claustrophobia because it's a fucking desert, so you can't yeah. just like run out <laughs> into it and, and yeah, find well, the, your freedom.
1: Yeah, the, the the best maze you could possibly make, just an endless expanse. There's just no yes. way out of it. So
0: Yeah. Um, and and I I thought it was so beautifully shot and so um um perfectly filmed and paced because it is a very short movie too it's only like 70 minutes long or something like that um yeah. but it's really relentless um and i miss those kind of really tightly focused films because now everything is two hours for some fucking reason
1: yeah if you feel like it's just your yeah every every, every movie that comes out just this extended long bladder blus- buster. you just you shove every single thing <laughs> into it is that kitchen sinks worth of ideas never ends or are just comedies too or just interminable where you you can tell they just improv for hours and carved a movie out of it and it just goes on and on as you know this is in a contrast this is tightly paced there's i don't think there's a wasted scene in this entire movie
0: no Uh, not not even a wasted shot like it's very very precise um which i really appreciated um so yeah i mean uh, thinking of this as a sort of like commentary on masculinity, um, I mean, part of talking about that is going to have to be spoiling the ending of you know of what happened. So sorry, everybody. Um, but um,
1: sorry, the, sorry, this <laughs> almost seventy year old movie is going to get spoiled for you. It's <laughs> film older than your grandpa is going to get spoiled. So
0: um, yeah. So um, the main the uh, the the killer himself um, yeah. is this kind of um, I liked that she made him hideous um, as we were sort of talking in the L podcast um, too many films are sort of fascinated by the own their own sort of evil character to yeah. and glamorizing it and and fetishizing it which doesn't happen at all in this film um, she allows him to be not just hideous but um um, boring. Um, yeah,
1: he's he's not. There's nothing romanticized about him because I mean you can make characters who are kind of hideous who are who are still romanticized. I mean I wouldn't call like, you know, the Anthony Hopkins version of Hannibal Lecter a, uh, you know, a, a, a handsome character, but he's he's definitely he has a he has a charm and a wit and he has he has sort of romantic elements about him. That this character. He feel you could you can smell this character, <laughs> you know. I mean he he you know he, he smells like cigarettes and sweat, and he just he looked like just nervous tension, you know. It just he he, he emanates this feeling of just desperation almost, you know. Just very quiet and very uh, very uh, in, intense. So yeah, he's he, he's not a he's not a pretty character. There's there's a lot of jagged edges,
0: and I. think think that it sort of goes against even just the title of the film right like the the idea of the hitchhiker especially in this era of the sort of you know uh, Jack Kerouac in a leather jacket or whatever you know um, that sort of archetype or just like not even archetype just like you know stock character um, of the uh, the rootless wanderer the handsome stranger that sort of stuff and and sort of upending it um, Mm -hmm. in an And I think an interesting way that the title plays into um, Because he is, yeah, not just, you know, physically repulsive But just sort of um, not... Intelligent, not charming, sort of lacking in any of the sort of um, qualities that we sort of weirdly imbue murderers with in a lot of movies. Um, yeah, trying to make them into uh, yeah, a sort of romantic in some way, even if it's yeah, not really
1: it's the idea that every like, being a serial killer is almost a superpower.
0: Right. You know? Yeah, and like the that somehow a murderer is the the um, the antihero, like counterculture. Um, yeah hero figure you know um uh there w- there's been so much of that throughout not just noir but film in general uh trying to create the the sense of this person as, as a um uh you know he's just a, he just can't be contained by society's rules that you just don't <laughs> shoot other people in the fucking face anytime you <laughs> want to <laughs>
1: our our feeble morality of not committing just random murder for fun or profit.
0: (laughs) I know, we're so boring
1: that way. (laughs) Six squares. (laughs) So...
0: Um, and so yeah and so then there are these um, two other men sort of um, drawn into the you know they're, they're taken hostage and, and thrown into the situation um, I guess you know what are what are your impressions of sort of what these two particular yeah. figures are doing in the film for and for yeah. the film?
1: Yeah I kind of I actually didn't note down their names because I forgot I kept getting them mixed up but Gilbert and Roy mm-hmm. the two uh, the two men who were, uh, uh, kidnapped by um, uh, the hitchhiker. Uh, they're sort of—I mean, they are—they're sort of like two sides of a very sort of standard kind of masculinity, um, where you know it's a it's a '50s style masculinity. You know, you have you have your family at home. You go on your trips with your buddy. You, you know, you probably are a war veteran in, in the '50s. Most that's the thing I always find interesting that uh, gets sort of lost in the culture as you talk about the uh, you know the Leave it the Beaver style ideal family and you can remember that that you know leave it to beaver's dad probably had PTSD probably yeah. <laughs> probably had you know seen artillery fire and you know has a has a maybe 30-40% chance of having shot someone in his life. <laughs> yeah. uh, which is always the underside of the 50s thing that everyone forgets. And they mention it specifically that one of at least one of them is a is a war veteran. Um. so they uh, and they're out on this trip and they're both uh, they're both sort of yeah very standard kind of masculine type you know the uh, one uh, like I said I have trouble distinguishing him but uh, Roy is uh, says he's a draftsman so he's more of a professional uh, little calmer more even paced uh, you know intelligent in a, in a certain kind of way you know more of a book smart kind of way uh, Roy is a mechanic. He runs a garage. He's a biz- small business owner, basically. He a uh, little bit more into the impulsiveness. You know, he's the one who really pushes to try to. We got to attack. We got to do something. We got to run. Whereas the Roy is or uh, see, and then again, Gilbert is more of the uh, gonna. You no, know, let's let's wait. Let's wait for our opportunity. Let's take our time. And it's that sort of the push and pull between them, and then the fact that they neither of them will will act on their own initiative. They're always going to include the other. They can't uh, they can't separate themselves. You know, one of them is not going to sacrifice the other in order to get out of this. So, but they're trapped in this interminable situation where they have somebody who doesn't care about any of their, you know, doesn't care much about their history and just is using them to to get through this and is just keeping this awful close eye on them for endlessly and. It, really truly close eye because that's one of the little bits of disfigurement they add into the character of uh, Emmett Meyer the hitchhiker is he has the one eye that is partially paralyzed Mm -hmm. never closes so even when he's sleeping he's got one eye on them and they never know if he's watching or not
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so so it's just this it puts that feelings of this sort of very idealistic kind of masculinity that they have or if at least not idealistic, sort of a very what would be considered a normal middle-of-the-road male type put under this enormous stress and, and not really sure how it's supposed to deal with a, a situation that's outside of its normal bounds. So,
0: Yeah, I found them very difficult to keep uh, the names separate as well um, as yeah. far as remembering who was who. Um which I can't tell if that's intentional or not. Um, yeah, and if that's like a, a sort of narrative fuck up, or a, if it's, if I, it, I, I think, think
1: it's, so, it feels more like it's like it's this. This could be one person who's two people, so it has someone to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really what it is. It's it's it feels like this could just be two sides of the same person. What you're watching is like, you know, do I act or do I not act? What do I do? And it's one one embodies one course action the other embodies the other course of action they can't come to agreement on what they're supposed to do about it so they they end up doing nothing
0: yeah it was a little bit i think too pat in the in the way of the sort of so it was the draftsman who didn't want who who was sort of holding back um i don't know like that makes me think of something like straw dogs like there, this anxiety of uh the the man taken out of a sort of "Quote unquote natural masculine state," um, yeah. through through higher education, through d- domesticity or whatever, being then unable to access, and then being overcome by you know uh, hypermasculine men and becoming a victim, feminized yeah. and in and that way. And they mentioned
1: the more cautious one is is the one who has kids. The the m- more impulsive one, uh, Roy is uh, uh, is married but doesn't doesn't have children. So yeah yeah that kind of plays into it too which is definitely more of a I mean you can understand caution when you have children but it is it is very much a a type it's mm-hmm. a it's a type of story that you you see before and a type of character you you see before so
0: But the thing I did like that it it wasn't exploited in the end in the way of you know he wasn't killed off right so yeah. It he wasn't shown to be yeah, no, he is weak because, you know, he got a lady pregnant and settled down and, yeah. you know, took a desk job kind of thing. Um so I did appreciate that part
1: of it. Yeah. Though I do like that the, the guy who is more who is the more impulsive character one who wants to take action, who wants to do that, every attempt of him to do that, he ends up getting punished further for it. He twists mm-hmm. his ankle. In the end, they uh there's that walk on the dock where they're they're trying to make it to a boat to uh, to get out of the city and where uh, the cops are going to be, there the hitchhiker has dressed Roy, the uh, the the more um, impulsive one, into uh, into his clothes so that uh, the police will think it's him mm. and has him walk forward. So th- it's like every attempt that this guy has made to like stand up for himself, to to push forward, to to take action, always ends up just punishing him totally. But then the guy who is uh, who is more cautious it doesn't do him any good either because any opportunities he get are almost pure luck. He he doesn't, he, he gets, he gets through it really just because he lucked out of it. That was it. So they, they, they did almost nothing to affect their own escape that actually worked. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's, 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 I, I kind of like that, that they, they aren't, neither position is really rewarded. They're not, uh, you know, the impulsiveness versus the cautiousness. It's not, neither of those are really rewarded in the end. Ultimately they, they get uh they get uh they get saved because someone saw a police poster and called the cops that's really it (laughs) so and they almost get shot by the cops too so i mean it's not it's not that it's just pure luck that they made it through it all
0: and then yeah and then and then the hitchhiker himself who's supposed to be this very sort of um uh brutal no holds barred kind of you know then reveals himself to be just kind of a chicken shit at the end of it yeah,
1: Just um, he, he loses the gun and he's just this wailing animal again
0: yeah he's,
1: um this, there's nothing there's he has no he has no power anymore and he gets he gets a crap out of him by both of them you know while the cops hold him down so
0: and he doesn't and he doesn't get to go down in a blaze of glory right like he doesn't no, get you know
1: yeah there's nothing uh, there's nothing noble or uh, or even um there's nothing even fun about his his end like fun to watch he's it's not some james cagney you know top of the world ma moment as the oil refinery burns down around him you know it, <laughs> you know it's it's not you know scarface at the end going down in a blaze of gunfire so it's you know he, he his gun gets knocked out of his hand and he gets handcuffs put on him and he becomes a bubbling screaming <laughs> You know, almost feeble person. He like he he looks like he's being led away. Like he's he's got a an illness at that point.
0: And it does. See, yeah, it, that the intention behind that of um, of yeah, just trying to take apart that character um, and reveal what's actually there. Um, you know, that's not something that you that you see there has to be a sort of conscious awareness of 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 what you're sort of playing against and and taking apart um in a way that i think that a lot of people you know it, it is and it is satisfying to watch a movie where you know it's satisfying to watch scarface it's satisfying to watch you yeah, I mean, any that, of these sort of heroic it, it, it i don't does, know young it guns
1: which is <laughs> buttons in the back of your brain that you don't you don't always want to admit are there but they are there so you yeah know you kind yeah. of have to distance yourself intellectually from what you're watching sometimes but it is you can't say they aren't you know entertaining you know so. yeah but it's well. it's just like wow that's that's horrible that's i'm just i I'm, I'm cheering on this horrible thing that's <laughs> happening <laughs> this is just a massacre these are all people are all dead <laughs> this is that's always the thing I think about the end of Scarface is, who's got to clean that up? Oh man, <laughs> in the know, f- it's... sun that is just going to reek. <laughs> so.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, I was sort of thinking um, about—I don't know—I kept thinking about Straw Dogs as I was watching this, and so maybe this is like taking it off into too weird of a place, but um, um, I mean, the 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 fact that the the two men had to and not just had to stick together but abs just refused to abandon one another right um yeah. i really also enjoyed that part of it too the, i find straw dogs to be a very sort of repulsive film um That's, yeah
1: i don't i don't think there's i don't think there's a ton of disagreement about that at this point i, I i've i've see, i don't think i've read a an impassioned defense of it in quite a while so I'm sure they're there but yeah no it is that, that movies uh, uh that's it's a piece of work I don't really know how to describe what I what I really feel about it I remember seeing it like in in high school and even then feeling mildly uncomfortable <laughs> by about uh, by a lot of it yeah yeah it's, it's just uh, this undercurrent of just discomfort through the whole thing and I don't think any of that's intentional
0: right I guess the sort of what I was responding to or why I was sort of thinking about it was that the lack of self-awareness in in the film yeah. itself, um, the lack of sort of intention um, was interesting to me because in the way that the Hitchhiker was so precise and she, it did seem like she knew what she was doing. Uh, yeah. e- even to the point of not having any women in it um, and then Straw Dogs it felt like somebody you're know, trying very much to make some sort of enormous cultural point yeah. but just being sort of at the mercy of his own bullshit <laughs> that just sort yeah. of
1: it's yeah, watching sam peckinpah trying to make a point about masculinity is like watching gallagher make a point about watermelons you know it's just, you're not it, it, there's no subtlety involved at all with this you know it's his point is written in a big wide brush and that it, uh it's really easy to see and it just it it's not always a good one you know just every Every, the first feeling I sometimes think whenever I watch that, whenever I see the poster for Straw Dogs or I see the video what, somewhere, you know, it's just like oh, hot take coming through. You know, I mean, it's <laughs> it's, it's got this. Uh, it it's a uh, it's a movie that it, it's gonna say I'm gonna say something about men and masculinity, and that's what mm-hmm. I'm gonna say.
0: Yeah. So the the fact that um, not it's not just you know Sam Peckinpah who sort of you know tries to. Say something about masculinity, and and then is sort of you know uh, revealed to be um, under the sway of everything that he that he thinks that he's in control of. Um, It's I I you know I see that in so much of men's work about men trying to explore you know like I think about Breaking Bad, which I think actually did replicate a lot of the sort of um, toxic masculinity that that said that it was. interested in deconstructing and, and so yep. on um and and mad men and the sopranos you know all these sort of things that are like oh we're going to look at the these sort of um uh aspects of masculinity and criticize them and um and deconstruct them and then ended up just sort of you know celebrating them and, yeah. and trying to use yep. them in the same way um so i guess my question is like does the did a movie like this um, have to be directed by a woman, like written and written by a woman.
1: You know, I, I like I said, I I think that I kind of almost think it did in a way. I mean, I would like to say being a man, I like to say it wouldn't. But I, I honestly, if I'm being really honest, and I'm trying to think of counter examples to that, mm-hmm. it's really hard to find them. So, I mean, you can see uh, movies directed by men that that do more effectively. Uh, deconstruct um, sort of male archetypes and masculine behavior and that toxic masculine uh, behavior. You can see films that do that more effectively than say, you know, yes, Draw Dog Breaking Bad. Uh, things like that without celebrating it where they don't really make their masculine heroes heroes in any real way or any anything like celebratory. Mm-hmm. But but they're, they're kind of few and far between, and they're sort of, they're like, you know, yeah one case in a career of, you know, a few. It, and even then, it's not, it's never, it's never like a pure vision. There's always some impulse to sort of, you know, take some joy in the terrible behavior of a of a character you represent. Because there's this, I, th- I would like to say, I think it's this idea of you're representing a character who does bad things, and you want to condemn that character for doing bad things. But that's also an outlet for you to, as an artist, to do bad things, and it's really mm-hmm. tempting to, to explore that. So and kind of enjoy yourself that way. So I think, and
0: especially when when so much of our culture is, is celebrating these outlier um, forms of masculinity, right? You yeah, know, the, the hitchhiker as, as the Kerouac kind of thing, and and and, and all that. It's. If you grow up sort of fantasizing or romanticizing these ideas of um, masculinity and identifying with them, then separating yourself out from them is, you know, in the way that I think, um, you know, in, in femininity now watching women try to take apart femininity in films and books you know a lot of them are are falling into the same traps just in in a completely different way um and it and it really is just like i can think of maybe three women authors who do it really successfully um and they're they're all sort of um uh european and older (laughs) um but for whatever reason yeah i think it's that sort of like identification and so the i guess the the question of did a woman have to do it is like she could obviously be in a position where she can see it without without the identification right even if it's um it's been made romantic um for her by the by the culture she has she can take a viewpoint from it and and sort of uh see it a little bit better maybe
1: no absolutely i think that's that's that really is a wonderful point i mean as i don't is like you could see um, I, I think men could sort of do it piecemeal an example i think of is um uh it's from i think just a couple years later it's a uh, kiss me deadly mm-hmm. which is one of my favorites it's uh robert aldrich direct- directed it he ended up doing the dirty dozen and uh, whatever happened to baby jane and a few others down the road um, but it's uh, and it's based on a Mickey Spillane book, which obviously is just that is you couldn't distill like detective fiction macho ness into a more perfect form than Mickey Spillane. So. And also the fact that he's just a, a hateful, hateful thing to read. <laughs> so, you know, his character, like the whole Mike Hammer as a character is you read the books and it's he's celebrated in the books. But if you watch, read them objectively, it's just this man is a monster. He's mm-hmm. a sociopath. So... Um, but Kiss Me Deadly was obviously directed by a director and written by a writer who hate Mickey Spillane. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it is so clear that they they take my camera, they move him to Los Angeles instead of New York and they make the character just a scumbag. He is just a uh, you know a, a a piece of dirt, just just a shitty human. You know, and border, almost borderline fascist in his attitudes sometimes, you know, and just this way he acts towards people and his sort of single-minded focus on his own needs um and it's a great movie in a, in a lot of ways but the the thing is though he still drives the fast cars he still has the cool fights he still does all this other stuff he does he still goes through the motions of the cool hero stuff and frankly it is fun to watch him just tear up the city mm-hmm. uh, as he goes through it but it n- at no point is he depicted as a as a good person or a celebrated or a character who should be celebrated in any way, but it's not that it's not, he's not Emmett Meyer in the hitchhiker. He is not a repulsive character necessarily. He has his charms and he, it is fun to watch him because they're making a movie that's going to be entertaining for, for men and they want to make it entertaining for them to to create. So it doesn't have that kind of purity. That's sort of that. I think Lupino brings to the hitchhiker in that same way where she shows a character who. Could very much be romanticized could very much be romantic but he's he is very stripped of that and a lot mm-hmm. of the other characters are kind of stripped of that there there is no that's one thing i like about the hitchhiker though is that there is no uh you, like you see the police and they're there and there are a couple of cutscenes of uh an american officer talking to a a, a mexican police official as mm-hmm. they do this they're just they're all they are is just pure exposition that they're just they they aren't characters they're just let's okay we're gonna have this scene to move the plot forward there is no like heroic cop off in the background who's hunting this character you know there there is no hero character in this necessarily there's there's two men who are struggling to get through it but there's no there is no actual hero in this in this uh movie
0: yeah that's an interesting point and i think it it is kind of key because that is the sort of ultimate um you know masculine type even if you're coming at it from the anti-hero, you know, glamorous serial killer Hannibal Lecter kind of thing, um, you're either playing the uh, the hero in the sense of you're saving the day or you're playing the anti-hero in the sense that you're, you know, destroying the world. But both are glamorized. Um, but, you know, in the way that uh, these two men are saved by chance, not because of, um, you know, they, they managed to hatch the great plan of escape or whatever yeah um and it's all just sort of but that's that's how life is like Like, they're they're very very few heroes in this world and every time one is sort of revealed it's like oh no he was you know he's got child pornography on his computer
1: another one yeah Um, what's the timer on this one here so yeah I, i I think I think it helps too that this this is based on a true story. I mean that mm-hmm. it has that feel. I mean they 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 definitely um, they definitely made changes to to make it I think more cinematic. But it is it is actually it is based on an actual killing spree that occurred only just a couple of years before. I mean the uh, uh, the person Emmett Myers based on is was was still on death row when the movie was being made. So he, uh, and he was only executed shortly after it came out, I think, um, was, uh, Billy cook went on a killing spree through like through America. He, he actually killed more people than are depicted in this film. They actually cut down the violence for the movie. Uh, he actually killed a whole family at one point. So, um, and he did, but he did kidnap at the end two two men who were on a hunting trip, uh, kidnapped them to get to the same town, Santa Rosalia, and to try to get onto a ferry, except the end of the movie, the end of the uh, real story was actually just the chief of police at Santa Rosa recognized him uh, from a wanted poster, walked up to him, took his gun out of his, took just that <laughs> gun away from him and arrested him. Like didn't even, no struggle, no nothing, just walked up, caught him by surprise, pulled the gun out of his pants and then said, you're under arrest. <laughs> and that was the end of the, that was the end of the, uh, the, of the killing spree. The guy was arrested and sent back to the, to the U.S. to await trial. So... <laughs>
0: Yeah, I can see how you need to juice that up yeah, a you little need, bit yeah, to yeah.
1: jazz <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you gotta
0: at least have him screaming, you know, and wailing. Let's... let's
1: have some yelling. Let's let's do let's do it on a darkened, you know, with a dip that dim film noir lighting out on a dock, <laughs> you know. <laughs> let's let us let us make the let's let's punch it up a little bit, and I can see like you you totally understand, but it is mm-hmm. it's still it has that feeling because there is no there's no real heroes there's. It, there's just pure chance and and luck and just the fact that they managed to not get shot for long enough to, to get to that point where luck got, you know, got them through it. Mm-hmm. So.
0: The other thing I was, the other sort of movie that I was thinking about when I was rewatching watching this um, was In Cold Blood. Yes. Um, and I think because, happy. yeah, the, like the, you know, the guys on the run and the, and the cop trying to, you know, all that, the... All the various sort of standard storytelling techniques um, and done very well, done very effectively, but still um, very sort of standard um, roles of masculinity and the antihero and the and the and the relentless cop and all that kind of stuff. Um, You know, and I grew up hearing that story over and over and over again because I'm from Kansas and I'm from Kansas like Pretty close to where those murders happened um and it always seemed to me um that it was a very sort of convenient story for for kansans to tell about themselves in the way that i think that a lot of these these things are very convenient stories for men to tell (laughs) themselves about themselves i mean i
1: I, you 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 know every man in every man in every office building in america has had some sort of you know daydream fantasy about how they could stop a a, a shooter if they came in you know it's just
0: oh fuck yeah no it's it's so it, so much worse
1: absolutely i mean it's just you you absolutely know that there's every, every man you meet has at some point had that thought in the back of his head that it's like you know, yeah i could take him <laughs> you know and it's just a you know your emotional maturity kind of dictates as to how much of just like you recognize that that's just now that's just that's just me telling myself stories i would just hide under my desk so yeah there was a what else would do i'd panic so
0: in the in the most recent mass shoot or i don't know maybe there's been one since then but the annapolis um shooting at the the newspaper
1: the the newspaper one
0: yeah some someone had a one of the journalists had a gun, which did absolutely fuck all. did Did nobody any good whatsoever? Yeah. Um. But it seemed like that thing of just like I bet he, you know, the he, this idea that, well, if I'm armed, if I'm armed, I will then, be the one that yeah. that can that Gun, save everybody's that, life and all that stuff it's
1: like well, it's unless you are just unless you're so armed that bullets literally can't penetrate the number of guns are shooting on you then you're probably it's not going to do you a lot of good if you if you unless you're you know. in full
0: robocop
1: exactly <laughs> so yeah. and, th- and that's always the story though that i hear with and i think it plays into the into what the hitchhiker shows too is that it's Uh, it's always a story you hear every now and then of the good guy with a gun who stops somebody. Then every now and then those stories pop up of somebody who who stopped someone with a gun or stopped a spree because they they pulled a gun on him and got the jump on him or something like that then you those get pumped up real big and there's always huh. a story about it you wait about 24 hours or you read past the headline or something like that and it's almost always like off-duty police officer with a gun or you know security officer who was on his way into work or something like that it's or somebody,
0: military yeah yeah you
1: know someone who's yeah oh he was in the military police you know for for 20 years it's like it's always somebody with an extensive amount of training and how to handle the situation it's not just some guy You know, because if you're just some guy and you don't have extensive training in how to handle the situation, I've had to practice it over and over and over again and do that. And even then, if you do, you know, there's doubt and there's insecurity and you don't know the right thing to do. And that's not a thing that is expressed a lot in in popular culture in terms of masculinity. You know, part of being masculine is you're the one who's supposed to make decisions. You're the one who's supposed to know what to do. You're supposed to know how to handle it. Humphrey Bogart never didn't know what to do and, <laughs> no, I mean he knew he always knew what he was doing <laughs> so mm-hmm. you know that's it doesn't come up as much but um, so it, it and that this film really shows that it's just it's these guys they don't know the right choice you know they don't they don't know the right decision so there, there's part of your culture it feels like they're, they're supposed to you're supposed to know what to do here but there isn't one there is no right choice and that's the same as in in reality it's a real it's a much more honest depiction of of that sort of circumstance and of masculinity in a way it's more honest that's you're not going to know what to do no one does in these circumstances you have to guess and sometimes you're going to guess wrong so
0: yeah so do you think that these these stories where, you know, Humphrey Bogart knows what to do and, you know, uh, Captain America knows what to do. You know, he might have some feelings that he has to overcome, but he, you know, he becomes decisive and saves the day and all these kinds of things. Um, Not that they're, you know, um, dangerous to our culture. I mean, I'm not, I'm not stupid enough to say video games cause mass shootings or whatever, but the, the easiness and the... You know, I don't see, and this is just probably my complaint on a personal level. I don't see these stories being taken apart for what they are enough, um, in sort of the critical response to to these stories. They're sort of accepted, um, yeah. and 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 you know, you're not, you're not supposed to really criticize them because there's there's so much fun. Yeah. But um, I I do find it. Um, Disappointing and counterproductive to just sort of allow, you know, the critical acclaim of of Breaking Bad, the critical acclaim of the now the superhero movies. (laughs) Now I'll get well reviewed. I don't understand that, Um, but the uh, the the critical capacity of our culture to really confront these stories seems like it's weirdly decreased since the 1950s rather than increased.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's just, it's, you, you get this sense that so much, I mean, there's still great film criticism out there and there's still a lot of great writers out there, but there's so much of the discourse about film is on the level of a review. Mm -hmm. You know, how does this fit into what I expected it to be? you know or how does this fit it like okay it's a superhero movie how does this fit into other superhero movies Mm -hmm. how does it do compared to there there's no deeper analysis of it you know there are people who will make that kind of analysis every now and then but it's like you got to search for it and it's it's as a wider culture we're not asking those questions uh, in any significant capacity you know i always think about it you know when you see you know like you know Captain America, you know, yeah, goes out and, and saves the day, and he throws his shield, and it hits the bad guys and comes right back to him, except, you know, well, he mistimed it just slightly, and it bounced off, and oh, it hit a school bus. Oh, no, oh, it's gone. <laughs> Captain America messed up, because, you know, that happens, too, you know so you know tony tony stark uh you know went and fought the bad guys except why is he a fa- why is he punishing the black henchmen more because that's something that happens in reality too you know the cops yeah. will the cops will have their prejudices and they'll take them out you know so you don't see that kind of analysis in of, of films we don't question those assumptions Rather they fit into reality it just it's like okay how does this fit into what i expect a superhero movie to be or how do i fit into what i expect an action movie to be and
0: Right yeah how does it meet my expectations Absolutely. rather than what is it doing and what is its intention but i do think that the stories we tell matter and i think it, yeah. it has an effect and so um uh you know that's why i'm doing these stupid like you know hour long discussions of um david fincher films or whatever but um but yeah i i i really I, you know I, I revisited this movie specifically because you had um you know yeah, uh, it, mentioned it, yeah, it, um, it as a possibility
1: it's it's funny because it's you did say I was, I'm looking for for you know to talk about films uh directed by women It it is the almost the first movie that came to mind like it, it was for whatever reason I mean maybe it's just because I'd been I'd been on such a film noir quick kick for so long I've been working through that genre so much that that's just where my mind was. It just went straight to that and yeah. how it fits into that genre is, is interesting. So, I mean, it's aside from its, you know, other cultural implications, it's, it's a good, it's a good film noir, you know, mm-hmm. in that sense for how, if you want to broadly define film noir, that it fits this film. So, you know, which, uh, I, I don't know if that's necessarily a useful mm-hmm. label so much. It is like, it's a style that you can have.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, but it's, uh, it definitely is I mean as a as sort of a, a kind of grittier 50s crime drama it um, it is you know a, a mark piece of work for its genre and just just the fact yeah it is it's unique historically and you know it's a genre film directed by a woman that is a top-notch genre film it is absolutely no wasted space no wasted shots perfectly cast you know just you know everything everything kind of in place you know i mean you know it has it has its weaker moments it's better moments but it's it is a well-crafted piece of work and just a remarkable film forever dog this has been a forever dog production executive produced by brett boehm joe cilio and alex ramsey